0: In The Geography of Bliss, Eric Weiner, a longtime NPR foreign correspondent, traveled to a total of 9 countries to offer some reflections on how happiness is defined across the globe. In the Netherlands, happiness is security. The Dutch have some of the most comprehensive social safety nets in the world. The gap between the rich and the poor is very low, and extreme poverty and homelessness are virtually non-existent. In Switzerland, the citizens place great value on having control of their own lives and government. And while the Swiss have a similar cultural push to succeed and become wealthy, just like Americans, they pride themselves on never standing out and not showing off their wealth and success. In Bhutan, a tiny mountainous nation near Tibet, nestled between China and India, happiness is a mandate. Yes, that's right. The government, which is ruled by an absolute monarch, is mandated with trying to increase the level of happiness of its citizens. In this country, which is a third-world country in many regards, there is also universal health care and free education, and a strong focus on spirituality that grounds its citizens in the here and now. On this episode, we're going to explore to what degree an individual's happiness is intertwined with geography and culture. Let's think significantly. (laughs) Welcome, everyone. I am Melissa, and I am joined by my traveling companion in cerebral thought, Pete.
1: Hello, my friend. I've got my passport in my pocket, and I'm ready to go places. though I have a feeling we will not be talking about Disney despite the title.
0: Um, I mean, I mean, we could talk about disney. i don't I don't know that I have a lot of data on Disney to contribute to the conversation, but um these <laughs> recent talks about, then moving to Texas might be applicable to our chat on where happiness resides.
1: Which makes me wonder, is is happiness really a place?
0: TBDP, to be discussed. To be discussed, we're going to find out. Hello, follow this podcast. You'll figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) So before we launch into the heart of our discussion, I have a pin from last episode. Okay. And you know I like to get the pins out of the way.
1: I do know this, yes. Okay,
0: thank you. And my pin uh, has to do with this idea of happiness is pleasure. The definition that we shared last episode came to us by way of the Oxford English dictionary, which you got to admit, like it's the standard bearer for definitions, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Right. So in that episode, we defined happy as feeling or showing pleasure or contentment. And while I had this huh? Like, do I re- agree with that? During the episode, I mm-hmm. had to take my time to like marinate on it as I do. Sure. And I'm here today to say that I don't know that I agree that they are one and the same contentment I can get on board with, but, but pleasure, not so much.
1: Yeah, I, I can agree that there's some distinction there. Uh, when I think about pleasure, mm-hmm. I think about how we experience the world through our five senses, largely, and happiness would be more uh, of a feeling that we generate inside.
0: Inside?
1: Us. Inside us. Sorry. Oh, like,
0: our yeah. circus tense. Sorry. No. Yeah. I'm,
1: no, I'm just, I'm thinking, you know, looking, looking, feeling, hearing external things versus versus that internal generated feeling.
0: Right. I agree with you. And believe it or not, I, I actually thought, I thought about lab rats when you said pleasure last, last episode.
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you just said, speaking of pleasure, made you think of rats. That can't be right, can it?
0: Do not kink shame me. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Yes. <laughs> I can explain. I can uh, explain.
1: If you're free associating rats and pleasure, I tremble to think about what you'd say to a series of Rorschach tests.
0: Uh, well, you should be more concerned about what those, my answers to those Rorschach ink would, would tell us about myself. <laughs> You'd be yeah. like, and here's my borderline personality disorder. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have a point. I swear. So, okay. you know, you know, when the lab rat is like rewarded in the experiment, he keeps like hitting the little lever to keep feeling pleasure.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Okay. That's what I thought about. See, does okay. that make more sense now?
1: That yeah. does make more sense. All right. I- I'm not sure that would come to many people's minds uh, right off the top, but I can totally see how you got there.
0: Well, I appreciate that. But
1: but you're asserting that, that pleasure can be achieved with substances or stimuli, uh, but happiness then can't be.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good way to differentiate it. Yeah. Like you might be able to experience a momentary feeling of happiness from like a pleasurable experience, Mm -hmm. but that happiness does not last long. It's fleeting. Because it's dependent upon, like you said, those external events and experiences, and right. we'd have to keep on having those good experiences—more food, more wine, more three cherries in a row on the jackpot machine down the shore.
2: Right.
1: right.
0: Now that that's ever happened, right? In order to right. the same pleasure, yes. Right,
1: and that explains why, why people become—you know—when we talk about addiction, we talk about external experiences, substances, needing more to feel a short-lived feeling of of happiness get that hit Mm -hmm. um and i suppose it explains why you would think about lab rats
0: see exactly i told you just just give me a second right yes yes i'm not half baked yeah i got this yeah
1: let's (laughs) not let's not hang the half baked thing on just the rat analogy okay (laughs) i'm glad i'm glad we were able to work through your pen me too uh but uh, you know, that was talking about the last episode's definition of happiness. Yes. We did say that we would start off each episode with a new definition. So do you have one for this episode?
0: Of course. I'm not going to shirk on my responsibilities.
1: I, yes. I would not ever think that you would.
0: Says Pete, who's like, could you please review these socials? They have to go out. <laughs> yes. Before this podcast, this uh, this episode, I am not shirking on my responsibilities. So <laughs> yes, I have a definition. But... But, but, okay. but, there's like okay. an asterisk. There's always
1: a butt. yeah.
0: There's always a butt, right? Uh, never trust a big butt and a smile. Yes, that's <laughs> um,
1: Sage uh, advice.
0: I, I want to add a bit of a twist to the definition for this episode. And okay. that is because we are talking about geography and how that influences happiness. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I want to frame happiness as the presence of positive effect on one's life and an absence of negative effect.
1: I've, I feel like that could be applied to, to more than just happiness though, right?
0: No. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I think so. But the reason that I chose that definition is because that is actually the way that international rankings of happiness tend to measure the general happiness of a country's population by the presence of positive effect and the absence of negative effect.
1: And to be clear, that's that's, affect with an a right not not affect with an e
0: very close to aflac yes (laughs) yes
1: Ah, yeah i'm familiar with
0: that uh well so to help illuminate this i will Mm. say that i will i will relate to you not that i will say this but i will relate to you that that canada is ranked as having low negative affect Mm -hmm. and mexico is rated as having high positive affect. And Switzerland, get this, doesn't rank high in positive effect nor low in negative effect. Ever the neutral, right? Mm,
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's like typecasted. Yeah, it's so so hard to hard to imagine them being neutral, like right?
0: Yes, but they rank very very high actually in reported life satisfaction.
1: Well, And that reinforces what we said in the last episode about happiness being more along the lines of contentment rather than razzle dazzle. Yes. And since we're on this topic of what we expect happiness to look like. And you started off the episode citing Eric Weiner and the geography of happiness. Mm-hmm. I wanted to say that that we often think about happiness in a straight line, mm-hmm. but as he discovered in his research, it's more like a maze.
0: See, it really is, right? More lab rat references. Oh, goodness. <laughs> right, you get a piece of cheese at the end of this. Yes, there <sighs> you go. That's exactly right. I think we think of terms of like, this happens. And then this happens like very just like cause and effect, very linear. Right. And right. yeah, he found that it's it's definitely more circuitous than than people say. Right.
1: Right. What he found was that despite each of us having our own particular path, there were some constants that seemed to exist
0: across all the countries, you're saying that he visited. Yes.
1: Right. That's right. Exactly right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He, he found that um, one of the things was that he found that material wealth can help. In reducing anxiety and suffering related to poverty, but it can't provide happiness on its own. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another commonality was that uh, community is universally important. Right, humans are social animals. We can't can't be happy if we're isolated. Uh, I
0: want to beg to differ. Clearly, Weiner is not a mom who finally has a Saturday morning to herself free from having to run multiple kids sporting <laughs> events halfway across town. Yes, I,
1: I think I think when he said isolated, he was referring to more than just a Saturday morning off in a month. And I would argue that even on that Saturday morning, you wouldn't have known such happiness
2: mm-hmm. had
1: you not been surrounded by community every other day of the month.
0: Correct. And on my day of isolation, surrounded by a box of. Uh, of of Dunkin Donuts (laughs) and three really good library books. Yes.
1: Which you're not getting in isolation. So there you go.
0: You make a point. You make a point. Yes.
1: So he also noted that having autonomy and contributing to society, but they aren't necessary to be happy and living in the moment seems to consistently have a positive influence on happiness.
0: Yes. Yes. Ultimately chasing happiness seems to always be futile. Happiness comes from the here and now, not from the pursuit of it. Despite what Kit Cutty would tell us, yes.
1: <laughs> you know, you know, I gotta say, I appreciate that. I can always count on you for an obscure, obscure song reference. Thank you. Uh, while while simultaneously being unable to contribute any references to movies before nineteen ninety three.
0: Peter, we all have our gifts, man. I don't know what to tell you. Yes.
1: Well, your 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 gift for the lyrical deep cut is helpful in this case because. While Kid Cudi is trying to pursue happiness, we are here to dedicate an entire episode to discovering where the happy people live so you and maybe he can move there.
0: Oh, the perceived irony.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then once you are there, there won't be anything left to pursue. So he'll have to come up with a new name for his next album. Maybe the, the maintenance of happiness or something.
0: And, and yes, that would be a good, that would be a good album cover. We could uh, float that to him. Right. We just DM him right now and be like, have you considered? <laughs> yes. And, and, and to that end too, we, once we got there, right? this, this lei if you will, we <laughs> would not be checking the world happiness report annually to see if there's a better place to be.
1: Well, hopefully not. I mean, speaking of this whole world happiness report mm-hmm. that it's it's the tenth World Happiness Report that was just released this past March.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was released just days ahead of annual International Day of Happiness, which is held annually on March 20th.
0: I hope that you all celebrated responsibly and appropriately. Yes.
1: Yeah. I hope. I I, I hope everyone had a happy day anyway. Did, did right? you? Did you? I you know, I I had no idea that it was March 20th until uh, you know, we're recording this in May. So Oh. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little late to the to the party.
0: Pete doesn't even know when March 20th is. He's saying, <laughs> let alone <laughs> I feel like that that might have passed you by. Well, you it, can prep it, it might for, have, yeah. Right, you can prep for next year, right?
1: Yes, right. I've definitely got it marked for next year. I'm going to have the best day on March Ever. 20th,
0: 2023. Yes, and uh, so, we can see where we rank on the World Happiness Report.
1: With a smile on our face, we will check the report. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting to note, so the report that came out this year um, had Finland at the top as the happiest country in the world for the fifth year in a row. Mm -hmm. Um, Denmark came in second, followed by Iceland, Switzerland, and the Netherlands.
0: And for those of you who are still scratching your head about a world happiness report, yes, this is a thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. As you said, it's been released for the last 10 years by, by a group called the Sustainable Development Solutions Network. And it ranks global happiness in more than 150 countries around the globe.
1: Right. And the the data wizards base their ranking on information they collect from the Gallup World Poll and several other factors, including statistics on gross domestic product, life expectancy, and the like.
0: So I think you might have a one-up on me. So whereas I might have known it was World Happiness Day and just failed to <laughs> share that with you, you have your hands <laughs> on the report, which I have not seen.
2: Yeah,
1: right. though
0: Finland, okay. Number one, five years in a row. Cool, that's great. Mm. Uh, Where is the U.S. in the rating and ranking? Do you know?
1: U.S. came in at number fifteen this year, ahead of uh, the U.K., the Czech Republic, Belgium, and France, among others.
0: So we came in ahead of the U.K., Czech Republic, Belgium, and France. Right. Correct. So were there any? Now I'm curious. (laughs) No. Okay. This is what I'm going to phrase it. Okay. Were there any surprises in the countries that came in ahead of the U.S.?
1: I would say it's really hard to define what a surprise would be.
0: Were there any uh, lab rats? Listed
1: top? <laughs> there, were no, there were no lab rats, no. All right. I, but I did notice that there, there seems to be this, this chunk of Scandinavian countries taking up the top spots, like we listed, like I listed there just then. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, you have Israel and then New Zealand.
0: Israel and then New Zealand. Oh, that's interesting yeah I definitely have some ideas roaming around my brain but definitely not in they're they're not cooked enough to share right now <laughs>
1: uh
0: I don't have nearly enough data and and by nearly enough I mean any uh right. yeah maybe we'll hear about
1: easy. them at the beginning of next episode
0: <laughs> yeah there you go I'll put it yes <laughs> um you know I don't even have the list from the previous year so see how well prepared I am for this episode um <laughs> But I do know from our conversations leading up to this episode, and we talked about at least the top spots remain relatively stable, right, throughout the years. Mm -hmm. Meaning, like, there seems to be a lot of year-to-year consistency in the way people rate their lives in those top-ranking countries.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. As I said, Finland has come out as the number one happiest country for five years in a row. And the report's only 10 years old. So Mm -hmm. half of the time the report's been produced, Finland's been the number one country.
0: That is a fancy way to twist that data. You're like fifty percent of the time, fins are yeah. on top. Yeah,
1: yeah, and honestly, that's 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 five in a row. That they, they I, I don't have data about if they, you know, just missed a year and and were a couple of years before that. They might be the happiest place, you know, predominantly for the last ten years.
0: Mm-hmm. Right on the aggregate, sure. So, right. what do you what do you think those fins are up to, man? <laughs> like, what makes them so gosh darn happy?
1: Well. Uh, Research shows that that having a high national ranking is connected to how a country's institutions take care of their people.
2: Okay.
1: Right. And this this leads to higher ratings of life satisfaction.
2: Which
0: I see leads to the higher self-reported happiness levels.
1: Right, precisely. Mm-hmm. So and Finland. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're saying life
0: satisfaction. sorry. Sorry, but I just had to make this connection. Sorry, my brain yeah. was like life satisfaction is like happiness, really. That's, a, that's an interesting way to frame it though, that we haven't.
1: Right. Yeah, I would okay. say so, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so one of the things that Finland has going for it is they've got an effective system of progressive taxation, they've got smart earned planning, strong healthcare and education systems.
0: You said they had one thing going for them and you listed like three major things like that we don't, four major things like that we don't well, necessarily have.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, right. I was thinking of them all as like a, like government care, you know?
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. That makes sense um, to me. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: They're all kind of fall under the governmental realm. Right. Um, additionally, the, uh, something else that's worth noting is according to experts at Alto University in Helsinki, mm-hmm. uh, another factor that contributes to their success in this, in this poll is access to green spaces, which mm-hmm. helps reduce the stress and promote physical activity for the population.
0: Okay. So I got to ask, and and okay. maybe you don't have the entire list of 150 countries in front of you. I don't know. But mm-hmm. Finland shares of order with Russia. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about how these green spaces help to reduce stress. And I'm wondering how sharing a wall with, I don't know, say Russia, you know, affects their stress levels. Um, do you know where Russia showed up on the list?
1: Yeah. Blah, 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 they're at number 80.
0: So towards the bottom of the list.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, below halfway. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. and whereas that ranking was surely underway before Russia invaded Ukraine at the end of February this year, I, I just think right. the juxtaposition can't be overlooked here. You have like the happiest country in the world sharing a wall with one of the unhappier countries. So clearly, happiness is not about geography, despite us touting this episode as it's where you live. Yeah,
1: right. Maybe it's just the way I I took this. I, I didn't ever think we were gonna find. Uh, some land somewhere imbued with magic that's people standing on it happy
2: mm-hmm. I
1: was thinking of a where as a more of a community
0: well that's because Kit Cuddy hasn't asked you to go live in a country with
1: him <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting Cuddy. hit me up
0: oh yeah I love how you're trying to give me some coffee cup wisdom here like home is not a place it's a feeling but
1: yeah I mean I guess I am right uh, back to when you asked me about was anything surprising, I want to make a point that this year's report found remarkable worldwide growth in all three acts of kindness monitored in the Gallup World Poll. And those would be helping strangers, volunteering, and donations. They were up in every part of the world, reaching levels almost 25% above their pre pandemic prevalence.
0: So they are tracking three acts of kindness, specific things. Helping strangers, volunteering donations. Right. So basically what you're saying is there is a connection between acts of kindness and happiness. So it isn't just what my country can do for me, but what I can do for my country.
1: (laughs) President Kevin Kennedy was definitely onto something, even way back then.
0: Such a visionary. Such a visionary, that one.
1: And I might add the second episode in a row where he's popped up.
0: Oh, snap. You're right. (laughs) I feel like we might have just issued ourselves a little challenge, right? Can yeah, you, I think so. Can we keep this up? Maybe we'll spread to other podcasts, right? You know, oh,
1: mm, could be. Better Only than, time will tell.
0: Than be dumb- sure to <laughs>
1: tune in next week, ladies and gentlemen, to find out.
0: <laughs> I was going to say it's better than dumping ice cubes on our head or some other nonsense. <laughs>
1: That's exactly right.
0: Sniff and pepper, I'm That's not right. about that. But I can. How can we? Pepper.
1: How can we uh, uh, link JFK into whatever topic we're talking about each week?
0: All right. Well. Yeah. All right. I'm going to try. Yeah,
1: I know you will. And I know you'll find a way.
0: I will. That's right.
1: So before we get too much further off track, besides helping others, what other things have we come up with that are connected either via correlation or causation to happiness?
0: So we mentioned earlier that Weiner found that material wealth can help in reducing anxiety and suffering related to poverty, but, but like on its own, it cannot provide happiness.
1: Right. After, after a certain level, wealth stops contributing to happiness completely. It, it effectively has a threshold.
0: Mm-hmm. I, well, I actually saw that echoed in a lot of studies that I came across, even if like that wasn't the main point that the study was trying to make.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, there was a study that was uh, seeking to determine the happiness of different areas of America by analyzing the word usage of geotagged tweets in 2011. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was all about this, right? I was like, oh!
1: This is is right up your alley.
0: (laughs) Right up my
1: alley. You're probably like salivating. I was frothing
0: the mouth. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: (laughs) great. And uh, yeah, these studies show that there was a correlation between wealth and happiness with the wealthier areas being happier by their measurement than, of course, the areas with high poverty. And Mm -hmm. like some people are like, well, no shit. But I think that what we're seeing here is that, yes. Wealthier areas are going to be happier than impoverished ones because money does provide quite a nice little escape hatch from a lot of the ills associated with poverty. I'm just saying.
1: Right, right. If I have money, I'm not consumed with worrying about how one bout with an illness might completely throw my family into a tailspin.
0: Right, and I'm I'm not thinking about how one unforeseen household repair is going to potentially put my family out on the street. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I we need uh, everyone needs a certain level of wealth to be able to meet the needs of the lower levels of Maslow's hierarchy. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got your, your food, your shelter, only when we have those needs met, can we even start to aspire to the higher levels where we find fulfillment, which, which I dare say means happiness with our lives.
0: Mm -hmm. So this makes me think about the Easterland paradox, also known as the happiness income paradox, Mm -hmm. And simply put, like this paradox says that at a point in time, both among and within countries, Mm -hmm. happiness and income are positively correlated. But but over time, happiness does not increase when a country's income increases. In fact, like happiness amongst the populace sometimes trends downward, even as that country keeps like earning.
2: Right.
1: Right. And there there have been scads of critics of the easterland paradox and loads of other studies contradicting what they found but but i think despite the scads and loads that the pendulum is back to thinking that the easterland paradox is valid
0: Mm -hmm. yeah well well i know that some of those studies that were criticizing the easterland paradox are trying to we're looking Mm -hmm. at countries for a briefer period of time sure and I don't have any actual data at my fingertips on this, but I was just thinking of an example that came to popped up on the old, you know, frontal lobe here. You got, you got Mm -hmm. South Korea, like you got a country in which per capita income doubled in less than 20 years and their Mm -hmm. life satisfaction does not show an increase.
1: Right. So you've got to, you've got to ask yourself if economic growth is not the main route to greater happiness, what is
0: I'm I'm so glad you asked because yeah. Easterlin himself, the guy who came up with the paradox,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like he's answered this. He says that you know we might need to focus on on things that you know more directly touch personal concerns. You know, um, like like health and family life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know those those things that actually can move the needle rather than on the mere escalation of material goods.
1: But but if we did that, Melissa, <laughs> then how would we ever increase our wealth, which makes us happy?
0: Right. Thank you, Peter. American capitalist. Yes. Right. Yes. As soon as you started that, I was like, oh, you're going to be sarcastic. I could just tell. <laughs> yes. All right. It's noted. Correct.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I thought it was, it was interesting that you mentioned before about how in the Netherlands. hmm. Uh, the the Dutch have a small delta between their rich and their poor. There's not a lot of of income inequality is the the catchphrase here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I wonder if that is what we are seeing here that that when a country looks like it's getting richer, mm-hmm. is it the country getting richer or or is it a small handful the Bezos, Musk, Gates, Soros are getting richer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that skews our national average. Uh, on income, mm-hmm. while deepening the divide between the haves and the have nots which decreases happiness.
2: That
0: is an interesting hypothesis and it's got so many variables that's yeah
1: yeah it's that's it's really that would be hard to quantify. and
0: At least fly.
1: yeah yeah
0: right here and here and now yeah we'd have to do some more digging to see if that had merit. Um, you know, one thing that does come to my mind when we talk about has and haves-nots is this idea of individualistic societies versus mm-hmm. collectivist societies. Okay. And this might sound like a, a little bit of a reach, but something that mm-hmm. I've just come across in, in my research and my prep for this episode was that collectivist countries tend to have colder climates. And, and they- really? Yes, and they tend to have stronger safety nets and put an emphasis on equality. Can you figure out why?
1: This is all new information to me as well. Um, <laughs> but since I'm being put on the spot, I, I, I'm going to go. I'm going to say that I'm going to say that cooperating uh, and sharing resources probably was the only way those cultures could survive the harsh climates back in the day
0: that's correct yes that's exactly right yes that sort of yeah where people came from has really uh imbued that culture um you know with uh with this idea of like working together for sure
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. um and and that sort of excuse me that sort of shared experience can lead to the development um, you know, of a common identity, much like you're seeing probably in these Scandinavian countries, a, co- a common set of core beliefs, which can absolutely have a profound impact on our happiness. Uh, right. You know, as well as I do, you know, that studies show that when someone shares the same identity and core beliefs as a community around them, they have a greater chance of being happy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That the shared identity and values may also be a contributor to why Scandinavian countries consistently score so well.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, if if I grew up Dutch, I believe I would be happier there than if I were transported to Egypt or Japan or the USA. I mean, just for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, studies revealed that identifying as being um, religious was correlated with greater happiness in most of North and South America, but was inversely associated with happiness in China. Mm-hmm. And like being interested in politics made people very happy in China, but miserable in Russia.
2: Right. Why do
0: we see those differences? Well, the data suggests that having alignment with these values of those around you is the key factor.
1: Right, right. And this this doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Feeling isolated and disconnected from others, as, as we discussed earlier, consistently takes away from feelings of happiness.
0: Yeah, agreed. So so why don't we talk about some of those other tasty little tidbits we found that? that uh, about where, where the happy people reside.
1: Oh, sure, I can, I can do that. I've got a study here by Steven Goetz, a professor at Penn State. Uh, he found that living in the suburbs generally made people happier than living in either the city or the country.
0: Professor Goetz clearly did not interview me, right? Uh,
1: he did <laughs> not interview me either. Uh, he, he also found that people living in predominantly non-white communities were happier than those living in white neighborhoods mm-hmm. and that there is a correlation between happiness and stability showing that people who moved less and had a tighter knit community tended to be happier.
2: Mm. That
0: is very interesting to me. Yeah. I'm thinking about what we just said about like you're, if you're more in alignment with the folks around you, right? Right. Um, well, and,
1: then- and more in individualistic versus collective. I think there's yeah. some of that going on in there too. Even like too. within the USA, there's different cliques of individuals versus communities.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I agree. You know, you know. As soon as you said suburbs, you know the thing. I, I my knee jerk reaction was to think about commute times. Like mm-hmm. as soon as you okay. said suburbs, I think how long does it take to get to work? And uh, what I found out is that I am not the only one who gets unhappy thinking about commuting because mm-hmm. the longer one spends traveling to work, the less happy people, the less people felt happy.
1: Right. And I, and I came across the same information, but it's important to know that it hinges on how long they spent traveling, right? Mm-hmm. It's time, not distance. So the person who lives 70 miles straight shot from work and drives an hour and the person living in say LA who lives significantly closer, but still has that hour long travel time are both equally unhappy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if there's some sort of unhappy continuum built into that like like people who travel an hour on open roads going 70 miles per hour are happier than those sitting in traffic I'm going okay. to just surmise this to be the case I don't know for sure I just know that commute times don't make people
2: happy
1: yeah no I, I would say that that, that uh, would definitely be worth looking into
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I and you know I think regardless of if they're in l a uh, you know, standing still or doing seventy on the highway. Mm-hmm. I think if they listened to our podcast, they would be happier <laughs> during during their commute, either way. I mean, think about how much happier they would be if they just had a brief mental reprieve from their commute.
0: yeah, so we're not looking for brief mental reprieve. We're looking for active cognitive, like cerebral sort of, you know,
1: well, we're we're like feeding them, and that gives them a chance to chew on it. and so that when they run into their friends and family, Got it. Then they can get that active uh, brain muscle working.
0: Got it. Well, I'll see if we can partner with Sirius XM Radio. Yeah. Oh, that
1: would be fantastic. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> okay, you know, it. You, you know, I have to wonder if the if the problem with the commute is being stuck in the car or the train or or whatever you're you know however you're you're commuting mm-hmm. because there's definitely research out there that says that people's happiness is affected by their immediate surroundings, and and I know that you're going to agree with this because I know you're very affected by spaces.
0: I am deeply affected by my physical surroundings, not just happiness-wise, but productivity-wise, yes.
1: Right, yeah, and, and and you're not alone, mm-hmm. right? In a study conducted in China, researchers found that happiness was significantly affected by things like temperature, uh, how crowded the space is, how noisy it is, uh, how many points of interest were around a person, and how close together those places were.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So in... In other words, there, there are a lot of micro variables that we can look at as far as how our physical environment affects our mood. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and to your point, there are multiple studies showing that exposure to nature like a coastline, forest mm, or other green right. space like you were talking about earlier, right definitely has significant impact on our happiness, just just nature in general.
2: yes.
1: and And this might explain partially
2: mm-hmm. why
1: urban areas tend to score lower than rural areas. And why, as I said before, suburbs were happier than either. Because mm-hmm. the burbs have a lot more green space than your urban areas, but they have a higher density of points of interest than your rural areas. So yeah. they, they kind of get the best of both of those measurements.
0: mm mm-hmm. that, well, that makes sense. And there, there's one other aspect of this that I found interesting I wanna touch on, specifically about the unhappiness in urban areas.
1: Mm
2: The
0: research showed that areas in decline, like Detroit comes to mind.
2: Sure.
0: um, Yeah, areas in decline have lower happiness scores.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that stands to reason.
0: But, but hold on, there's more. But they found that they were still unhappy in their heyday. (laughs) Oh. So, right, exactly. This is what's interesting. It's not really the wow part. It's not really that areas in decline have Mm -hmm. lower Mm -hmm. happiness scores, but... What's interesting is that even at the height of their power and productivity, people in these places were unhappier than in most places, which makes me wonder, did the unhappiness cause the decline rather than the decline causing the unhappiness?
1: Oh, that's that's an interesting thing to think about. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love a good chicken or the egg discussion. Right. And, and I think that relates uh, to some of the research I looked at that proposed that that there were financial considerations that some people made as a trade for happiness,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Many, many of the unhappy urban areas also scored high on income levels, but that didn't translate to happiness.
0: And that's after controlling for cost of living, right?
1: Right. Ac- actually, when they controlled for income, which is, which is slightly different than cost of living,
2: mm-hmm. but when
1: they controlled for income, income, they found that, that New York was among the unhappiest places. Oh.
0: So the question is, do people feel like they are giving up some level of happiness in exchange for some other tangible, like a higher salary or maybe more
2: culture? Maybe- yeah, that's,
1: that's, that's one of the questions for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, another is, if these cities are unhappy when they're booming and they're unhappy when they hit hard times, is there any variable that can be tweaked that would increase the level of happiness in that city?
0: So to be clear, when you're talking about booming you're you're referring to the city at large not necessarily like the health and welfare of the average citizen right
1: right right and that's a that's a critical distinction like we pointed out before with the the, the way you measure income and wealth in an area sure
0: mm-hmm. okay so that makes sense and uh it makes the studies that I looked at valid, actually um like like I I found that one of the most effective ways to increase happiness in a region is to reduce poverty sure which- is easy to say, it's like a no-brainer, but it's not something that's very easy to check off a to-do list.
1: No, no, it's certainly not. Right. And and coming out of the pandemic and the way that changed the way we look at work, I think I have some idea about what can be done to help some of these places that are in decline.
0: You, you have you have some ideas about to help these places that are in decline? You're, you're now a city planner, Pete? What is happening here? <laughs>
1: I I don't have any experience in this arena, but... uh, Even
0: more reason than to speak with authority. Go.
1: (laughs) But allow me to advocate for some ideas that, that based on what we've been talking about, may help some of these places speed up their recovery.
0: I'm all about this. Let's hear it. I'm, I'm intrigued.
1: Well, we see how many work opportunities have gone remote in just the last two years.
0: Right.
1: And businesses are seeing the benefit of continuing that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So these cities that used to attract people with their local industries now have to take a slightly different approach.
0: Right. So if those workers don't need to be in the office to do the work, then there's less draw for them to live nearby.
1: Yeah, precisely. Mm -hmm. So so it makes sense that these cities would reclaim a lot of the space that was overcome by urban sprawl Mm -hmm. and focus on making more green spaces and more of the points of interest that we talked about
0: i see what you're saying if you focus on developing the things that have been proven to increase happiness then a city can become a place where people who are increasingly able to work from anywhere want to go it's like that sort of feel the dreams if you build it they will come
1: yes yes exactly and and i know i just took something extremely complicated and oversimplified it but i truly believe that it's a strategy to consider not not just for places that are in decline but for places that want to stave off a decline of their own.
0: Mm-hmm. I definitely think you're onto something here. I think we should start with malls in New Jersey. Yes. And
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> they just make me so
0: sad. Yeah. They could
1: yes, they could all be reclaimed and put to much better use.
0: Yes. I I I think we could uh I think we could do a whole like a whole other episode just on this. Yeah. So maybe we don't do that, but we could definitely uh save it for later conversation. Maybe, maybe uh, maybe over a a, a cup of caffeine for sure. Yeah. I
1: would love that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So speaking of which, mm-hmm. <laughs> we should probably wrap this up. This is a long episode. Piece. This is
1: we've gotten very uh, verbose about this for sure.
0: We had a lot to say, man. We That's did say,
2: yeah.
1: So Melissa and I would love to continue this discussion with you all on social media. Have you ever lived abroad? How did you see happiness manifested in your host country? Do you think that the place where you live impacts your happiness? How?
0: Did anything that we covered on this episode surprise you? Were you nodding emphatically in agreement with anything that we shared? I know that bit about commuting did not surprise me, but, <laughs> but the part about the suburbs being where happiness lives certainly did. So yeah. reach out and let us know what your thoughts are.
1: Yeah, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ThinkSigPod and on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Think Significantly.
0: And if you enjoyed our conversation, please invite your curious friends to listen or or to move to Scandinavia. Yes.
1: Yeah, if that uh, happens.
0: Right. P and I will be back next week to discuss another fascinating aspect of happiness.
1: Until then, we encourage everyone to think significantly about the world around you.